0: Aging is the biggest risk factor for all chronic disease and death, and not by a small margin. We're talking about five or six times more important than smoking status or obesity.
1: How you're looking on the outside actually can predict how you are on the inside, because this, what's going on in the face is a prediction of what's going on in your internal organs.
0: We do know that individuals who live in the same area get approximate levels of sun exposure, um, you know, are, are all the same ethnicity. Uh, they definitively, the pace of aging is, is correlated to those facial appearances. Um, and uh, if you see these pictures, sometimes uh, you can see just how drastic some of that is. And the difference between the slowest and fastest aging members looks to be maybe 20 or 30 years of difference, even though they have the exact same chronological age.
1: Welcome to the Dr. Joy Kong podcast. This is where I have a chance to share with you some of the latest developments in the space of holistic health, longevity and wellness. I've always honored intellectual curiosity and scientific rigor, combined with real world practicality. My goal is that what you learn here will help you live longer and live better. Hope you enjoy the journey with me. Hello, welcome back. So I'm super excited to have our superstar guest, Ryan Smith back on again. So um, Ryan, has been a pioneer in peptide um, manufacturing and, and peptide science, uh, but uh, his newest venture has been in biological age testing. So um, so Ryan, I'm so happy to have you back on the show.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me uh, so quickly. It's always uh, great to be on. And uh, as I mentioned, I, I love your following. They've been very vocal and responsive. So happy to, to be on again.
1: Mm-hmm. oh yes 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 you are very popular <laughs> and uh i want to just give everyone a overview about you again so that uh, people are you know get a better better understanding so um so ryan is the founder of true diagnostic of course he was a founder of uh, taylor made um but ryan basically left medical school <laughs> midway um And and, um, basically, he went on to do bigger and better things to advance the field of medicine. Um, So he founded TaylorMade, which had become the fourth fastest growing company in healthcare in the U.S. and grew to eighty million dollars in within three years. So that's very impressive for somebody who (laughs) just. Abruptly left medical school and um, and was able to give us you know these incredible peptides that I'm sure helped numerous people, and um, and after Ryan exited tailor-made in 2020, he created True Diagnostic, which is a CLIA certified lab and health data company which specializes in understanding and reporting insights found through epigenetics. Methylation data. Since starting uh, this company in 2020, True Diagnostic has created the largest private epigenetic database in the world with over 15,000 patients tested on their platform. And from this data set, they created many new algorithms to interpret methylation data, including algorithms to predict inflammatory markers, disease diagnosis telomere length, aging pace, immune cell subsets, cellular replication, and more. So True Diagnostic has also led research in the field with over 30 clinical trials, investigating the best ways to reverse those markers through diet, lifestyle, and prescription interventions. So currently, True Diagnostic is working with uh, collaborators from Duke, Harvard, Yale, UCSF, Ohio State, and more to uncover new insights from the methylome. So, uh, Ryan will explain everything. <laughs> um, True Diagnostic is also the only commercial company on the market to offer second or third generation aging algorithms, which has shown to be predictive and precise, uh, more predictive and pre- precise than the first generation aging clocks. So, um, Ryan, um, I'm so excited to dive into these, um, these algorithms and uh, the testing that you have helped develop. So maybe maybe give us an idea of what uh, what got you to jump from peptide to biological age testing.
0: Yeah, certainly. Well, I, I think that it's a, probably a transition that, that I think most people will understand um, given our last conversation. You know, I think that uh, obviously I'm a big proponent of some of those peptides, but um, legally they're in a little bit of a weird state um, in terms of how you can most frequently get them, how you can use them. And, and we always knew that in the pharmacy, that was also one of our biggest weaknesses. With all a lot of these peptides not being FDA approved, their ability to be done in these peptide, uh, in, in peptides and compounding pharmacies was um, was difficult sometimes, especially with all the legal loopholes. And so one of the things that we always thought would help our case to continue to always do these peptides was additional data. Um, so, you know, the, the best data would have been uh, really good, um, I would say, you know, long-term studies with placebo controlled data, right? So uh, in the case of BPC, you know, maybe a 10-year study on Crohn's or all of colitis or some of those other gut conditions. Um, but unfortunately, we didn't have time uh, to do that. Uh, we knew that Uh, you know, the regulatory landscape was changing very quickly. And so we were looking at maybe other ways we could find biomarkers to assess uh, assess their success. Um, And one thing that kept popping up were these epigenetic methylation clocks. Um, And so as a brief history, uh, in 2013, um, Dr. Steve Horvath at UCLA really created for the first time ways to predict someone's age, looking at their gene expression data. Um, So this might be an unfamiliar topic for a lot of people um, in terms of epigenetic methylation and what is it. Um, But the way I usually explain it is by saying that every single cell in our body has the same DNA, right? So if you were to test the DNA from your heart or your skin or your saliva, it would be the exact same sequence but obviously those cells behave very differently. The the cells in your heart versus the cells in your skin are doing very different things. Um, uh, And so the way that they do those different behaviors are not by their genetics, but by what genes are actually turned on and turned off. Um, And epigenetic methylation is sort of the off switch for your genes. Um, And so by measuring that off switch, uh, you can get a lot of interesting data. Um, And Dr. Horvath had done this to basically try and quantify someone's age. Um, and, uh, and and so at first, these clocks were used for things like uh, dating DNA if it was left at a crime scene for forensics to see how old someone was. Um, many people might be familiar with uh, uh, an HBO series which is going on now where they uh, there's some age, um, uh, I would say discrepancies for, for a, a young child. Uh, it's now a really big HBO series we're actually testing that person uh, to see if they are and uh, what age they actually are. If they're a really young child with dwarfism or, or a really young child or if they're sort of an adult who just has dwarfism. And so doing some of that validation. So some really cool tricks, but um, they never really ever meant to be uh, health tools necessarily. It was really just to be quantify someone's chronological age. Um, but whenever they started to test this in really large populations, they saw something really interesting, which is that those people who were older with this testing than their chronological age were at significantly higher risk for negative outcomes and like disease and death. Um, and vice versa, with this testing, those people that were younger than their chronological age, were protected from death. Um, And so although this was meant to be a tool to measure someone's chronological age, um, it ended up being a measure of someone's biological age. Uh, The reason why some people might look 60 when they're 50 and other people might look 40 when they're 50 um, is through this process. And uh, because aging is the biggest risk factor for all chronic disease and death, um, this type of tool um, can be really good at mitigating those risks. Um, And and so for us at at, at TaylorMade, when we were going through these peptides, we thought it'd be great to show that some of these peptides were having age reversal um, related effects. Um, Unfortunately, we never got time to study it before uh, the FDA eventually asked that we stop producing these products. Um, But but that was the reason I got into the space. And uh, whenever I got in, I got very excited about all the potential application.
1: Mm, Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So um, I know there are various uh, age prediction uh, programs, I guess. I know telomere age is, is one prediction, and then there's methylation. Are there other type of um, age yeah. detection methods?
0: Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, there have been really crude measurements. I often like, oftentimes talk about in the 19, you know 1920s and 30s when they were saying your biological age was um, how many, uh, your chronological age was one year for every pack per day you smoked. Um, so really crude measurement, <laughs> uh, you know, obviously those improved, as you mentioned, we got telomere length um, as one of those outputs. Um, but, you know, telomere length is, although one of the most well-known hallmarks of aging and biomarkers of aging, it's generally not that predictive of outcomes. Uh, um, uh, it doesn't, you know, if someone has low telomere length. It doesn't necessarily mean that we know what's actually going to happen to them. If anything, um, and so these epigenetic clocks are really what I would consider is probably the best biomarker of aging at the moment. Um, and the way that we would judge that is by how predictive they are in, of negative outcomes. So if you're accelerated in aging, does that increase your risk, or does that uh, you know, where does that put you? And, and these tend to be the most predictive. Just to compare to telomere length, for instance, is a good example. They just looked at a, a, a general. Scotland cohort. Um, and they, they said, how much of the phenotypic variation in aging? So everything from disease development to the ability to move and all these different factors that associate with age, how much of that is based on telomere length? And they found that it's right around 2.3%. Um, And then they compared some of the first generation epigenetic clocks, and they found out that that was predictive of right around 28.5%. And so so as we're comparing the two, the one that is much more predictive of outcomes is going to be these epigenetic methylation clocks. Um, And now some of these newer generation clocks that are built with even more and better data um, are even more predictive, Uh, sometimes, you know, explaining over 50% of the difference in those phenotypes of age. Um, and so uh, so the clocks continue to get better. Well, oh, the um, new
1: clock, is that still using methylation patterns?
0: It is. Uh, but how they train those methylation patterns is a little bit different. And to explain that, it, it requires maybe a little bit of background, which is that uh, the way that they're using these things or training these things is by taking this methylation data, taking sort of computer learning and artificial intelligence, and then taking an outcome. And they're basically saying, with all of this data, can our computer system predict this outcome? Um, and... The problem with that is it's really not intuitive. You know, I, I think as a as uh, you know, medical professionals, most people are trained to find pathways um, that make a lot of sense. Where you might say, "Hey, this is being upregulated, or this is being downregulated, and this is leading to X outcome uh, due to that pathway." Um, a lot of the peptides also are addressing certain pathways and make a lot of intuitive sense um, in terms of how we think about things. But in the case of these computer learning algorithms we don't know if it's causal or correlative. We just know that it's Uh, predicting x outcome Um, and so we don't have a lot of reason of why these things are this way Um, and so the first generation clocks as I mentioned earlier we're trained to predict someone's chronological age Um, but the problem with that is that the better that those clocks get the closer they get to your birthday which is something we could just ask you for right you don't need an expensive test for that um, unless you're doing some of those really cool forensic things as I mentioned earlier Um, but instead so those are what we call these first generation clocks Um, and so in order to make a better version of these clocks what we really want to explain is why someone in their 40s might look 60 right and why someone in their 60s might look 40 why are some people living to 100 while other people are not and, uh, and so in order to do that, these second generation clocks started to be trained on biological phenotypes, things like blood-based biomarkers, things like uh, telomere length, things like time until death, uh, for instance. Um, and by training these, these methylation patterns with computer learning to predict those types of phenotypes, um, these clocks got much better. And the reason we know that they're better is because, again, they're more predictive of outcomes. Um, and and so, uh, so this makes a big difference. And then probably the best clock, at least, at this point is a a third-generation clock, which is trained on biological phenotypes like HDL cholesterol, like gum health, like um, telomere length, and BMI, um, but it's done it longitudinally on the same patients across their different aging. Um, That's called the Dunedin-PACE algorithm. It's one that we do uniquely here at True Diagnostic, which was developed at Duke and Columbia University, Um, and that's probably the most predictive. Um, and has some really good associations, not just to to death and disease, but also all these quality-of-life things that make life worth living, including things like facial agent
1: so is this uh, the 50 percent uh predictive power one
0: correct it, okay. it is it is excellent. Uh, it predicts your, everything from your grip strength to your mental processing speeds to your brain appearance on brain MRIs. Um, and as I mentioned, even facial aging. It uh, I, I tell people it is, uh, it's probably the most predictive algorithm. But uh, if there's one algorithm you want to score really, really well on, it's that one. Um, and that's the algorithm we've included into some of our uh, public leaderboards. If anyone is ever interested in competing to get the lowest age groups, um, we use that do-need and pace algorithm as sort of the gold standard.
1: Hmm. interesting do you feel i mean that that's one thing i you know I, I i look at when i do stem cell therapy and i always say i tell people i said how you're looking on the outside actually can't predict how you are on the inside because this what's going on in the face is a prediction of what's going on in your internal organs so it's interesting that you guys are able to predict facial aging um yeah. how well do facial aging correlate with internal organ aging
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's not always perfect, um, certainly, uh, especially because, you know, facial aging has a lot of things to do with like things like sun exposure, which might happen on our tissues uh, of our skin, uh, but not necessarily, you know, on our internal organs. And sun exposure is a huge issue. Um, but 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 with the denunian pace, we do know that individuals who live in the same area get approximate levels of sun exposure, um, you know, are, are all the same ethnicity. Uh, they definitively, the pace of aging is, is correlated to those facial appearance. Um, And uh, if you see these pictures, sometimes Uh, you can see just how drastic some of that is. We have pictures of uh, our 45-year follow-up for these patients. So they're all age 45, um, and we separate them into three images. We separate them into into what they look like as an average, uh, what the 10 slowest aging members of the cohort look like, and the 10 fastest aging members. And the difference between the slowest and fastest aging members looks to be maybe 20 or 30 years of difference, even though they have the exact same chronological age. And, And I think it's always a really good metric to show people that, you know, you You can keep doing things to help fix your, the symptoms of aging, like, uh, you know, Botox, like hyaluronic acid, like retinol, all of those are good tools to help improve facial appearance. Uh, But you also want to fix the underlying cause of that in the first place, which is the actual aging process. Um, And, uh, and so it certainly correlates. And uh, I always think that's a great example.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, so with the methylation, so I want to, you know, let's say a patient comes to you And, um, or comes to me and asking, you know, okay, I want to know how well I'm aging and I'm offering, well, this is a great test and can be very predictive. So how would you explain this, this test for some, you know, a, a, a lay person?
0: Yeah. The, the the best way to do it is just to uh, again put emphasis on the importance of aging. Um and and I think that's the the most important thing to communicate um, is that a lot of people think of aging as this uh maybe something that's aesthetic, right? About how I look or something vain um, in terms of, you know, a vanity type of thing. But it's really not. Aging is the biggest risk factor for all chronic disease and death, and not by a small margin. We're talking about five or six times more important than smoking status or obesity. Um, you know, things that we know are really really bad for you. And so I think that once people understand that that aging itself is a problem which predisposes us to all of these negative life experiences, uh, hopefully they'll be motivated to do something about their biggest risk factor. Um and uh and, and so with that being said, uh if you want to test that biggest risk factor, this is definitively the best way to do it. These algorithms are are very new. Uh, in the case of that Dunedin Pace algorithm, it only came out in 2021. Um, so it's not even two years old yet. Um, and uh and with that being said, it's 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 sort of a breakthrough in science and our ability to quantify a process which Previously, we've only been able to do with, you know, sort of our birthdays. Um, and, and so, the best thing to look here is that are you advanced aging or are you decelerated aging? If you're decelerated, that's going to be protective of every negative outcome. Um, And and so that's really where you want to be. But if you're not there yet, um, the answer is how do we get there? And that's the great thing about these epigenetic platforms is that um, we can actually change them. We can change them with everything that we do in our lives, medication, diets, nutrition, exercise. Um, And so it really puts the control back into your own hands to maybe try and do whatever you can to slow your own aging. Mm
1: So by focusing on the DNA, you're saying that you believe the vast majority of aging is happening on the DNA level?
0: Yes. Well, I should say, uh, you know, that's uh, epigenetic dysregulation is one of the hallmarks of aging. Um, But with that being said, there have been really big breakthroughs recently, which make us think that we might be able to restore ourselves uh, with just by changing this epigenetic expression. Um, one of the best examples um, are, are using uh, actually growth factors called Yamanaka factors. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are, uh, this won a Nobel prize uh, um, in 2012, um, because what it's able to do or these growth factors are actually able to take any cell within your body and make them back into pluripotent stem cells. So you could take, for instance, a biopsy of your skin and and, and take those skin cells and keratinocytes back to pluripotent stem cells with this reprogramming. And so uh, the interesting thing about this is that they've now started to use this as age reversal treatment, because when you use these Yamanaka factors, you can actually reset those epigenetic clocks back to zero. Um, and, uh, and so this has actually been done um, in an experiment with Harvard. They did this in uh, eyes of mice who had lost their vision due to age-related blindness. Um, and what they did is they, they injected this into their eyes. Uh, those cells, we went back to pluripotent stem cells and the mice actually regained their vision um, whenever they had been previously blind. And so um, these breakthroughs are are happening um, on, a, on a weekly basis now in the aging field. And it's one of the most well-invested areas of scientific development. Um, one of the companies that is most uh, well-known for this reprogramming-related investigation uh, was just funded by Jeff Bezos for over $3.2 billion um, as a startup, probably one of the biggest startups of all time all focused on this idea of uh, reprogramming and resetting these epigenetic clocks back to zero.
1: Okay. So how do you use these uh, Yamanaka factors? Do you, are, you, are you able to ingest it or inject <laughs> it? Or what, what, uh, what's the global <laughs> effect?
0: Yeah, so at the moment, there's a lot of unanswered questions um, on how to best do this. The, the way that, that most people have been doing it now is by uh, doing a, a little bit of uh, sort of gene therapy, where they're using sort of viral vectors to insert and activate um, these Jamanaka factors into our own genes so that we express them. Um, and then uh, those cells which we express them in revert back to those pluripotent stem cell states. Um, the, the work hasn't been done in humans yet. Um, it's only been done in laboratory animals, um, but the work looks extremely promising. Um, and uh, some people think that we've reached this thing called the longevity escape velocity. And that is where um, our, aging blo- so, so our ability to age is actually going to be uh, going slower than our ability to rejuvenate our age. Um, so that we might have people even alive today that, that might live to 200, 250, or, or even more be immortal um, because they can continue to reset their biology.
1: It certainly seems that we have come to that point, which is kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there has been so many tools, in, including, you know, different types of stem cell therapy. I think definitely has given us a glimpse that's um, it may be here already. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you, you can tell us <laughs> with your <laughs> test. Yeah. So, I mean, before um, the true diagnostic, I have tried a few DNA tests, you know, DNA biological age testing. Um, so, and there's a reason that you set up your company, right? You must have looked at what was going on in the biological age testing lansca- landscape landscape. And what do you think where they were at, and where were you able to do after you came on?
0: Yeah, you know, uh, this is that's definitely I would say my experience uh, is that. Um, I was always paying attention to these epigenetic clocks, but in late 2019, something happened, uh, which is that uh, the first ever interventional trial on these clocks was, was published. Um, and so this was uh, called the TRIM trial, uh, published by uh, Greg Fay and, and Steve Horvath at UCLA, where they use metformin, growth hormone and DHEA in nine patients um, over the course of a year and a half. And when they did this, they showed that the epigenetic age of these patients was actually reversed. So they actually, on average, uh, decreased their age by about a year and a half uh, with that therapy. Um, the therapy and was how long? A year and a half.
1: Okay. So they, the therapy uh, conducted was a year and a half and it, the age was decreased by a year and a half.
0: Correct. Correct. Okay. And, and right. so, um, uh, and you know, that the, that was for me, whenever it became real, because no longer was this conjecture, but they had actually shown that they were able to reverse this. Um, and so, uh, I think even the next day I was in Dr. Steve Horvath's office, I just hopped on a flight and knocked on his door at UCLA. Um, and, uh, uh and try to learn more about the space and when i went out there i wasn't looking to uh be involved in the space i really just wanted to see if someone could provide the testing um for us for some clinical trials um but when i went out there i I saw that really it wasn't commercially available first and foremost. And, and the ones that were commercially available um, were unfortunately only measuring a really small amount of data. Um, so they were only looking at r- approximately 353 locations on the genome, which might sound like a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, that's very, very small. Um, you know, We have over 29 million locations in each cell. Um, and uh, And the traditional methods at that point were measuring 450,000 at a time to up to 850,000 at the time. And so um, I was confused on why other people weren't measuring more locations. Um, Because uh, in my mind, the opportunity of of these epigenetic methylation uh, markers certainly was exciting for biological age. But its potential for other diagnostic ability, I think, was just being completely ignored. Um, and uh, and so whenever we, I was first considering this, epigenetic age algorithms were really only things applied into the market. But now we have epigenetic algorithms that can do a multitude of things. Um, We have epigenetic algorithms that can, as I mentioned, give you your immune cell subsets uh, like flow cytometry would, like a traditional lab value would. We have algorithms that can predict, um, or I should say diagnose you with schizophrenia, which was only previously a medical diagnosis that you could do within a clinic. Um, We have algorithms that can predict how much you've smoked across an entire lifetime, how much you're drinking in terms of alcohol behavior. We have algorithms that can um, can predict when you're going to die very accurately and actually are already being used by life insurance companies to tell you how much your premium should be for life insurance. Wow. Um, and, and so uh, so the ability for these epigenetic signals to tell us more about your health was really being completely ignored um, by any commercial company in the space. Um, and, uh, and I saw an opportunity there to maybe gather more data um, all together and then create new and better algorithms. Um, and, uh, and, and so that is what we've really tried to do here at True Diagnostic is, is using age and biological age as um, our main output collect a lot of other information from our participants to give them better data. So even right now, we just finished a study that we've been working on for two and a half years with Harvard, where we can quantify physical function measurements like your VO2 max or your grip strength. Um, we can uh, you know, give you your inflammatory markers like your C-reactive protein or your, uh, for instance, even uh, uh, markers related to glucose like your HbA1c or your fasting insulin or even just your, your glucose measurements. Um, and so, uh, You know, these are all of this data is can be found in just a simple finger stick blood test uh, where we're just getting a couple drops of blood um, and being able to tell a lot about your life and your health status. And it's certainly my uh, my goal, hopefully to change this to where we can get so much information with one single drop of blood that it might be able to replace 60 to 70 percent of your traditional blood testing, um, where we can maybe predict your risk of all disease. We can diagnose you with disease um, and then we can. Even more than that, tell you the things that are we found to best reverse or decrease those risks, um, so that we're really doing practicing preventive medicine.
1: That's really incredible that uh, you were able to uh, determine so many parameters, and um, and uh, I guess you guys have tested the accuracy. Let Let's just take a simple example: the hemoglobin A1C. So you're saying that that your prediction is very similar to what they're going to get from a regular blood test. Just from yeah.
0: your DNA. Yeah, exactly. So to, to be to be uh you know specific with HBA1C, um our predicted measurement versus um the the actual measured result um is about 80% uh similar. Um and, and so uh again with uh the, just a small drop of blood, we can get so much information about an individual. Um, And and sometimes that can be scary. It can sound a little sci-fi that we can predict all these different things. Um, But at the same time, if you can consolidate uh, so much information about your health into one simple, easy to produce diagnostic, um, we can start to track our health more frequently. We can start to see uh, what lifestyle interventions are are best for us. And it really issues in this new era of personalized medicine, where we might find out that your response to these anti aging medications might be different than my response. And we can then, you know, have the best protocols and procedures to really find out um, what's working. um, And then uh, also just what's working best for you as an individual.
1: Yeah. And the fact that you can predict how many cigarettes a person has smoked or how how much alcohol they've had, uh, that just shows that, um, you know, everything you've done uh, probably is not, doesn't go unpunished, right? You don't, you know, <laughs> it's uh, going to leave an impact apparently on the DNA level.
0: Certainly, and, and that's, uh, that's one thing to mention about the smoking predictors too, is that um, in, in terms of smoking, we can tell if you're a current former or never smoker uh, just by looking at one location on the blood. Um, and if you've ever smoked, that methylation location will never get back to normal. Um, uh, and so some of these changes, Uh, are irreversible, um, which is, uh, can be a little bit scary as well. Uh, But, um, and and there's so many things that are opening up in this analysis, Um, you know, without, without getting too into the weeds, one of the things that I'm really excited about as well, are these things like intergenerational exposures, um, where we found that even the behaviors of our grandparents and great grandparents are actually manifested in our own epigenomes, where we can actually see people who have markers of the uh, the sort of the Holocaust um, or the Rwanda genocide based on stress markers that are actually in their DNA. One of my favorite experiments was um, they've even uh, I would say exposed mice to the smell of cherries and then every time they exposed them to the smell of cherries they would send an electric shock um, there and even four generations later whenever the mice were exposed to che- smell of cherries uh, they would still shake in fear. Um, and so even things like our, our, our experiences of fear are actually ingrained epigenetically um, in our expression in our DNA. And, and so uh, this is just completely new and sort of a untraversed area of scientific analysis. Um, and, and so I, I'm, I'm really excited to see all the different applications that might come from it.
1: That's incredible. You could be transforming psychology. (laughs)
0: Oh, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) And this brings up these whole ideas of nature versus nurture. Um, You know, are are you programmed to be this person or is it a result of your environment? I think now we're starting to see it's more of of both than we ever imagined, Uh, the interplay between your genetics and your environment.
1: Yeah, that's really incredible. I mean, the fact that you guys were able to predict schizophrenia, you may just have offered the first ever test for schizophrenia, because there's no, I mean, I was trained as a, psycholo- a psychiatrist, there was no way that we could do a test, everything yeah. is by history, so that that's pretty remarkable.
0: Yeah, and, and not to mention, uh, even already, we can tell if you've had uh you've ever had PTSD or if you currently have PTSD. Um, uh and and uh, it's, strangely enough, all of those things, uh PTSD, uh, you know, bipolar disorder, depression, all have massive impacts on your biological aging um, as well. Um, where if you're uh, if you have schizophrenia or you're depressed where you have PTSD. All of those are associated with faster biological aging, um, and and so it brings up this whole idea of this mind body uh, connection as well, and how um, even things like uh, I always tell people that some of my best recommendations for reversal of biological age is even stress reduction, um, which uh, I never was a big proponent of, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I you know I even uh, I was always one of those people doing mindfulness and and saying is this working am I doing it right and and never really appreciating it, but now. That that i can see the difference uh you know stress reduction has been one of my biggest tools to, to take down even my epigenetic age
1: mm-hmm. i see yeah that's another thing i want to ask you about you know these predictive powers and um, these dna changes and just how reversible are they and and what have you found to be really helpful so it sounds like stress reduction can be a huge yeah. help
0: Definitely. um you know I, I surprisingly so I I think uh in in terms of me but uh um beyond that there are a lot of other associations which um unfortunately are, are not too surprising they sort of tell us what we already know which it is in a good sometimes in a good way it's good because it backs up our assumptions, uh, which means that we're on the right track and and that all of that data we already know is validated. Um, but at the same time, it can be, uh, I would say, not the most surprising. Um, and and do, you're probably doing or know to do these things anyway, things like getting the proper amount of sleep, um, things like, uh, you know, uh, being metabolically healthy and doing physical activity. Uh, all of these things have been shown to associate with better biological aging, um, in, You know, including things like not drinking, not smoking. We know that, again, all of those are associated with with better biological ages, um, but there are a few things that have been pretty surprising, um, and uh, and that are pretty, I would say, unconventional in terms of our analysis. Um, one of those things uh, that we're about to publish on very shortly are senolytics. Um, uh, for those of you know, who might be listening who don't know about this idea of senescence, um, these are sort of these cells which sort of pause. Uh, they they're not they're still alive, but they're not metabolically active, and they do this to prevent damage uh, in the cell from proliferating. Um, a lot of the times. And uh, whenever they're sort of paused, they sort of sit there and secrete a lot of inflammation. Some people call them zombie cells, um, but uh, they start this process of inflammation where they just sort of secrete inflammation and, and it's been associated with a variety of negative diseases. Um, including osteoarthritis, cardiovascular disease, lung fibrosis, um, a lot of neurodegenerative diseases. Um, and so this is one of those hallmarks of aging. Um, and, uh, and so people have really recently started to implement strategies to clear these cells from the system. Um, some, some, some of those strategies in terms of peptides would be things like FOXO4-DRI um, or uh, you know, things like supplements like physotin. Um, but probably the most common one is uh, a synolytic called dasatinib. Which is a cancer drug that's been repurposed, uh, along with quercetin. And uh, we recently found in an analysis that uh, disatinum and quercetin synolytic treatment actually made biological age worse uh, for almost every patient who took it. Um, uh, and, and it seemed to have a negative effect on decreasing telomere length and increasing biological ages. Um, and so quercetin. Yeah, disatinive. That's quercetin. very
1: popular. <laughs>
0: yeah. And so as we didn't measure quercetin by itself, only with disatinive. Um, but we found that uh, and again, that 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 was a product that people were prescribing frequently um at the compounding pharmacy we had um to treat these senescent cells. Uh, but it turns out that it might not be the best method. And so that was really surprising. Um, even fisetin as a standalone actually seemed to have some some negative effects. Um And so, uh, so that was really surprising. One of the other big studies uh, that we're about to publish very soon with Stanford um, is a comparison of twins, one twin on a vegan diet, the other one on an omnivore diet. Um, And so we looked at uh, both these twins were split into one group or another, Um, their meals were all provided for them, Um, they were tracked and and all their calories were the same. Um, and to be honest with you, we didn't expect to see much of a difference at all. Um, eight weeks is not a very long time for an intervention. Um, but when we did the analysis, we started to see that the vegan diets um, in particular had much better aging outcomes than those omnivore diets, um, which was you know, certainly a surprise to us. Um, but it looks like the vegan diet has some anti-aging benefits. Uh, Other studies have been done on diet types and and has shown that Mediterranean diets are very, very good at at anti-aging and have really good data. Um, And so uh, we were surprised to see this. But these are some of the really uh, non-intuitive things, um, I think, that we were surprised to see.
1: Wow. Well, you you probably just made a lot of people very happy (laughs) about the vegan diet option. I mean, the diet war has... (laughs) It seems like to be a real war there's you know very staunch proponents of each camp and definitely there's another camp the carnivore camp um a lot of people are placing a lot of importance on protein on how perfect the food you know the animal protein is as a food group so you just flip that on their head you know with this, <laughs> you know yeah new- well
0: i should say it's still very early and you know um uh, myself i i am, uh, Uh, You know, I I love my protein um, and (laughs) trying to get uh, increased protein intake, Uh, but but, uh, you know, I think that uh, this is definitely preliminary data which suggests the vegan diet might be better. Um, And I should also mention that this, this, some of this data analysis uh, was funded to Stanford. for a netflix uh uh show uh, there was a follow up to game changers if anyone is uh, if, if you might yes. be-
1: yeah i like so to keep the game changers uh, quite a bit but uh there's there's there are definitely people who don't uh, don't agree with a lot of it
0: yeah, exactly. And again, it's still early. It was a limited trial that only went eight weeks. Um, a lot of our studies group was also younger, um, I should say, in various age groups, um, which in and of itself is not bad. But as we start to get into things like frailty with aging, as we start to lose muscle mass, some things like protein intake might be more important. And so this is definitely just one uh, limited trial, uh, but one that was certainly surprising and, and noteworthy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, So what are some of the applications that you've seen when it comes to using this um, biological age testing? Um, So one thing definitely, you probably can scare some people into action, into taking better care of themselves. Um, But as far as um, different conditions that people are dealing with, um, what are some of the exciting things you've seen?
0: Yeah, so right now it's still almost exclusively used for age diagnostics and trying to manage and mitigate that process. Um, And and sometimes I think that, uh, you know, we get very different results from person to person um, based on, I would say, you know, their own lifestyle factors or or what's happening um, in terms of interventions. And and so uh, people are really finding out what's working for them. And so we've seen, you know, massive age reductions, Um, you know, probably the most uh, public and notable example are people like Brian Johnson. um, uh, who mo- many people might know about who've had um, age reversals. You know his rate of aging was 1.01 biological years per year, which is not very good uh, for his age when he started. Um, and now I think we are about a year or over a year later, um, and he's reversed his biological age to 0.69 uh, biological years per year. And so he's uh, basically gained a, a third of a year uh, every year in terms of his aging, um, which is which is certainly impressive. And and he's done it through trial and error and finding out what works for him um to, to reverse some of these markers and so i think some of those are, are really good case studies actually the best case study we've ever had um in terms of absolute reversal um but uh some people have better averages still than in, in their individual paces of aging um and so people are really finding out what's working for them but i think some of the other things that are on the horizon that i think are fascinating um, is there already have been published methods to predict response to certain drugs like metformin for instance to find oh. out if you uh are, are likely to have an HbA1c response, um, and also if you're likely to have side effects. We can actually predict side effects before you actually even start a medication or find out if another diabetic medication uh, might be better for you. Um, and so th- those are some other case studies that have, I would say, been really exciting. And, and again, all with the same specimen and data, uh, so which is one drop of blood, we can do all of these analyses for you. Um, and that continues to grow. Um, one of the other things that we're about to unveil on our platform is actually an aging by organ system. Um, so we can actually tell you uh, what organ systems are aging most in your body. Uh, is it your skin, is it your liver, is it your kidneys, is it your heart, your brain, your immune system, um, so that you can actually uh, focus on, on treatments or health uh, in, in that particular area. Um, and so we're really excited to do that as well.
1: Are there general speeds that uh, are most common for different organs?
0: So we don't really know yet, Um, and and we're about to see uh, some of the data we're doing on organ system aging is coming out of Yale, Um, and uh, so we are hopefully have it on our platform very, very shortly, Um, and and I think we'll be doing sort of a meta-analysis of everything in our cohort, but also what medications might be uh, affecting aging of different organ systems. So maybe, you know, metformin is it pro-aging of the GI tract, for instance, Um, or, uh, you know, is it uh, helpful on the musculoskeletal system, as we know it, Might prohibit sometimes some of that performance-related benefits uh, you you see. um, So so I think we'll we'll start to find out those associations, and as we do, again, we can get better treatment recommendations to patients um, and quantify every patient a little bit better in terms of their own risk.
1: Mm -hmm. So when is the organ-specific data that's going to come out in your tests?
0: Yeah, it should be about eight weeks. Uh, The the one most. Yeah, the one I'm most excited about right now um, is coming out in just, I would say, two or three weeks, and that's a uh, project we've been working on with Harvard for a long time. It's called our Ohmage Age Clock, um, and I think it's by far the most predictive clock to date.
1: Hmm. What, what does that predict?
0: So it's just biological age. Again, uh, it can also predict time until death, but um, it tends to be about three or four times more predictive of negative outcomes than any other clock. Um, And so uh, we've trained it with a lot of data. Um,
1: You're replacing previous clock.
0: We are, it's, uh, it's the best clock to date. Um, and, and so we're going to be replacing it. We never take away data on our reports. We always want people to compare apples to apples. So we'll never take away data. We'll only add data analysis um, and then try and tell people that uh, why we would really focus on this clock. Um, this clock, you know, sort of clocks before this have only been based off 21 biomarkers of aging in patients. Uh, we took over uh, 5,000 uh, 5, uh, proteins. We took over 75 clinical variables. We took over 3,000 metabolites. We did full genome sequencing. We did some transcriptomics. Um, we quantify these patients from aging uh, just about better than than has ever been done. Um, and so we're really excited to, to debut that. Uh, it'll be released as a preprint uh, just in, I would say, two weeks probably.
1: Okay. So what does that mean? Okay. I remember you mentioned um, that um, true diagnostic, the true age test, test over was it nine hundred thousand yeah. methylation uh, locations, rather th- comparing to some other tests that only test for a few thousand, right? Yeah,
0: correct. And uh, how so many? So you're still
1: testing those.
0: We're still testing those. Actually, now we're doing a little bit right around a million uh, with some of the different changes. Uh, But again, that's only a small fraction of the 29 million in every cell. We're still only doing one 29th um, of all those possible locations. Um, But uh, but with that data, um, it's still robust enough that we can create those predictive models. Um, And the good news is that uh, we're doing so much data uh, analysis for you that we might come out with algorithms in five years uh, that can we can then go ahead and apply to your data that you might've taken two years ago. Um, and so we might even have updates for you seven years from now, um, as we, I would say, increase our knowledge of the ways to read this data. Um, right now, this epigenetic language is, uh, is present in all of our cells, but we really don't know how to read it. And that's really what we're trying to do. I often tell, I'll tell people we're trying to create the Rosetta Stone uh for these methylation data right you know the rosetta stone allowed us to you know understand egyptian uh, hieroglyphics in ways that we had never done because it was sort of the key um and, and that's really what we're trying to do with methylation is it's it's this language that can tell us so much about our health we just need to learn how to read it
1: okay so with this new clock you're still using the same one million locations mm-hmm. and then you're having a new interpretation
0: Correct. Yeah, we trained our algorithm just to be more comprehensive. You know, one of the things about aging is it's so complex. Um, it's probably the most complex phenotype we can have. Um, you know, when we first started our company, there were nine hallmarks of aging. Now they're, I think, scientifically accepted over 15 different hallmarks of aging. Um, And and so aging is just so complex. It happens in a variety of different ways and it's different among people. And so the best way to, we thought to quantify that process is to get as much data uh, about every single individual um, with the most robust testing methods. Um, And so that's really what we tried to do with the study is to get um, just the the most information from these these participants um, and then look at what happened to them. Um, You know, did they develop disease? Did they die early? and uh, and then reuse that information to train really predictive algorithms.
1: Okay. So potentially you could come out with a different biological age using this new algorithm mm-hmm. um, and then, but you're still running the old algorithm so that people can compare?
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. You always first- want to compare apples to apples, but uh, we can go back and and change all of it too. And and just to give you an idea, just to give you an example, the first generation clocks, like the Horvath clock I mentioned that came out in 2013, if you were one standard deviation older in that clock, it would represent a 2% increased risk of mortality. Whereas this Dunedin-Pace clock that came out um, eight years later in 2021, one standard deviation in that clock would represent a 64% increased risk of mortality. And so uh, in terms of which one you're gonna prioritize, you're gonna prioritize the one that's more predictive of that negative risk. Um, and the clock that we're coming out with now um, tends to be about three or four times even more predictive than the Dunedin pace in terms of mortality. Um, and so, uh, so again, we're getting much better at predicting these outcomes. Um, and uh, and w- as a result, we think that we're quantifying those signals of aging a little bit better.
1: Mm, wow. So um, as far as your test, uh, can you explain to people a little bit what they're going to get when they get this test? Because there's intrinsic and extrinsic uh, aging, maybe you can explain a little bit.
0: Yeah. So, so that is one of the things we're getting rid of with this new omic oh, clock because, are. It's okay. like, because it's really complicated. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, we always want to be scientifically accurate, uh, but sometimes that, that, that comes at the expense of being really complicated. Um, and, and so this new clock is a way to to take that away. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, some of the outputs you'll get right now with, um, our testing, uh, is your, your omic age or your overall biological age. So how old is your body with the most predictive clock. Um, As I mentioned soon, we'll have H's for each of your organs as well. So you can tell if one of your organs is maybe pushing your aging forward, um, or maybe some of your organs are, are really aging really well. Um, and uh, so that will be coming as well. We also do that pace of aging. So at this exact moment, how fast are you aging? That is much more responsive to change. Um, so you can test at shorter intervals. Um, we also do your telomere length, as we talked about earlier. Um, and our version of telomere length is actually even better than traditional telomere length, because um, it's got double the correlation to age, and it's more predictive of almost every outcome. Um, in addition to that, we do your fitness reports. So so, uh how how are you aging from a fitness perspective um and, and we even predict your vo2 max your grip strength your walking speed um, we tell you your inflammatory markers uh uh which are tend to be more predictive of uh, brain outcomes um uh so is it, is your inflammation causing some negative outcomes to your brain um we tell you about uh um for instance your how much you're smoking or how much you're drinking uh, to see those signals in your dna um and we even quantify things like how likely you to lose weight with caloric restriction. Some people will cut, cut calories and lose a lot of weight. Other people will cut calories and lose almost no weight. And we can actually predict that outcome um, with this type of testing. Um, so those are just a little bit, uh, I would say of the, the many things that we report out and that list uh, grows almost on a weekly basis.
1: Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, so when a patient wants to check out their bi- biological age, um, how often should they check their age?
0: We don't recommend it too frequently. Um, we recommend it uh, maybe once or twice per year. Um, I would say most of our physicians would usually test uh, probably twice per year, every six months, um, to get a good idea of what's working um, and, and uh, to maybe shift protocols or make changes. Um, uh, doing it more frequently than that might be less precise, so we might see changes go in one direction that are not real or true biological age signals, um, and so we don't recommend doing it too frequently uh, with every algorithm. Um, but uh, you know, the, this the test is actually very easy to perform as well. We just need a few drops of blood, as I mentioned earlier. So traditionally, that's done with uh, blood spot card methods. So uh, you just prick your finger with a small lancet, drop a few drops on a uh, blood on a card, and then ship it back to us. And, and this is actually what it looks like. Actually, this is a sample I was taking today, um, uh, with my blood. Um, and so, uh, really easy to do and, uh, you get results in about two to three weeks.
1: Wow. Okay. Amazing. Um, all right. So any, any last bits of wisdom, um, that you've learned from, uh, helping with age reversal? Uh, one thing yeah. I realized is that things are rapidly changing the satinib that, um, that you were talking about and chrysitin, I think, uh, just back maybe six months ago, it, it was still recommended as a as something that can help reverse aging. And now we're looking at different kind of data. So things are rapidly shifting.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, things are things are, are shifting uh, now that we have these better tools. Our understanding is changing, and and uh, and and so these things are uh, certainly moving quickly. And I would say, if there is one thing to sort of take away from this, I hope that that people will really start thinking of of age as something they can have an impact on, something they can prevent, um, and a process that if they prevent or treat uh, can have improvements in their health span um, and their lifespan. Um, and so I hope that that's one big takeaway. I hope the other big takeaway 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 is that epigenetic methylation as a platform technology will impact every area of medicine. It'll be used uh, in cancer diagnostics already. It's uh, people might be familiar with the Grail or Gallery test that's where they're looking at the same DNA methylation markers we're looking at, but they're looking at it for cell-free DNA versus the ones that we find in blood. Um, so if you're going to your doctor for cancer diagnosis or even cancer progression, or to detect diabetes or heart disease, these things are gonna be done with methylation in the very near future. Um, and so this is gonna be a process uh, that that people should probably become aware of.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, cancer diagnosis. Um, if you are able to, to predict from the methylation patterns, Um, That would be incredible. And especially knowing that cancer cells have DNA changes. um, It it should be a very relevant test.
0: Yeah. And it's already out there on the market where you can detect cancer um, at stage zero before it can be found in any other method, Um, just through taking some plasma um, and doing a methylation analysis. Um, One of the great things about plasma is that it includes cell-free DNA. Um, And so the idea is that uh, the the DNA that's found in that cell-free DNA is from cells that are lysing. And oftentimes they lyse because of rapid proliferation. Um, And so what happens is cancer cells start to develop, they start to break. And as they break, that DNA is found in your your blood um, and that can be uh, isolated. And then also you can find out what tissue it's from. Um, So you can start to detect cancer really, really early before any other method. Um, And so that's one of the probably the biggest breakthroughs in DNA methylation technology. Um, We're not doing a lot of it, but uh, we are working with uh, some other companies to make it available on our platform probably in the fall of this year.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I think, uh, you know, before we um, end the session, I want to ask you some of the best known tricks for age reversal, as far as you know, that that's backed up by some of the data. So you mentioned the human growth hormone, metformin, DHEA combo. Um, So anything else that you've seen that's pretty exciting because there's so many uh, biohacking methods out there. Um, Maybe some of the ones that you have looked at that actually have shown good results.
0: Yeah, definitely. If there's a couple of things I recommend for everyone, Um, it it is certainly things like caloric restriction, which has been, um, you know, widely proven. Also, I'm a big fan of rapamycin um, as well. Um, I think as we talked about, uh, you know, both of those have a similar mechanism in that they inhibit mTOR. Um, And uh, so I think those are certainly great. Um, in the case of, uh, you know, some other supplements or nutritional things that, that almost always have a positive effect, uh, things like DHEA supplementation, um, as we sort of already talked about, um. Uh, also vitamin D, um, in multiple studies has shown improvements in biological aging. Um, uh, again, I, I, think, uh, if you're not doing caloric restriction the Mediterranean diets or vegan diets, as we've already talked about, tend to have really good effects. Um, stress reduction, uh, again, has a major impact. And I think those things almost work for everyone. If you're not doing those things, I certainly recommend doing it. Um, outside of that, the other things we already know, things like, uh, you know, uh, exercising regularly, but maybe not too much, actually. We've also found that some of our uh, professional athletes and olympians tend to have worse aging due to all of the stress they're putting their body under um and and so maybe some but not an excessive amount um and uh and so i say those are the the tried and true tricks for everyone but we're starting to get into very specific uh recommendations uh um and, and some things that are a little bit less intuitive uh some really interesting things on the platform the, I would say on the, the horizon, as I've already mentioned, are things like um, the, the cellular reprogramming with those Yamanaka factors. Uh, but also, I would say young plasma, um, plasma from younger individuals um, tends to have um, some pretty beneficial effects with this testing as well.
1: Okay. Haven't looked into stem cells yet? Or you have. We haven't.
0: Uh, we've done two small studies of 10 people with stem cells. Um, and in one trial, we got excellent results. The other trial we got terrible results. <laughs> um, and so uh so it seems to be that the type of stem cell matters. Um currently we're doing some fun work actually with uh with uh, Dana Farber Cancer Institute with some stem cell work, uh where we're uh taking stem cells uh um and reprogramming them with valproic acid um, and then reinfusing them. Um and and so uh, there was some exciting work there, but uh, still early, too early to say. I think on stem cells at the moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, wonderful, amazing. Thank you for all the great tips. And uh, well, where can people get this test? The information
0: that we can actually deliver through a physician is much more robust um, than what we can do in, in a direct-to-consumer fashion. Um, in a direct consumer fashion, we're really only allowed to report on aging because aging itself is not considered a disease yet, I, I think. I think it certainly will be in the future. So I always recommend going through a physician if you can. Um, however, uh, we do do offer direct-to-consumer testing on our website at True Diagnostic. Um, it's not nearly as robust as some of the things that we were talking about, but it still includes a lot of those age-related metrics. Um, and, and so uh, if anyone has has any questions they can always email me directly at Ryan at Tree and I'm happy to send them more information.
1: Fantastic. Thank you so much Ryan. Thank you for enlightening us with uh, all these uh, new uh, new information in, in, in medicine and in all the, the breakthrough that you are involved in. So thank you for, for your contribution. Yeah
0: thanks so. Doctor I appreciate you having me again.
1: Yeah it's always fabulous conversation with you and uh, uh, I love having you as a guest so thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoy the content. And if so, please rate and follow this podcast. To reach me, you can contact Uplift Longevity Center. That is Uplift with a Y. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Joy Kong MD. See you next time.